come, wander the worlds, and read the words of the scribe's journal. Welcome back to The Scribe of Worlds. I am joined again by the Violet author. Ah! <laughs> ah! Do you care to tell me why you're screeching? Well, the reason that I'm screeching, Scribe, <laughs> is because of our prompt for this wow, week. Wow, brilliant segue, is... brilliant segue. <laughs> I thought it was very funny. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. But yes, the prompt for this week is the sound of internal screaming, a name that Scribe gave it. Which caught me very <laughs> off guard, and I found very funny. Yeah, so the real reason is because one of my friends and I gave each other nicknames on Facebook Messenger. Hers was crying in German because she was taking German and life was difficult, uh, and mine was just internal screaming. <laughs> so, Both very relatable. Yeah, honestly. But yeah, today we're going to talk about internal monologues. Sp- specifically, that's the prompt, and we're going to kind of flesh that out and build off of that in this podcast. But how do you write an internal monologue and how does that show a deeper side of your character that their actions might not? Uh, And I want to throw a caveat here that later in the podcast series, we will be talking about character creation, how to build a character, what goes into a good character. But today we're going to be taking a character that you already know, whether it's one that you've written or one that you've read about, and really trying to dive into their psyche and kind of figure out what makes them tick, what makes them think, how do they think, how do they perceive. So let's roll it off. Yeah. I think one of the caveats that we should address right away is the option in there to write a character that is not your own, that has already Mm -hmm. been established in fiction. Yeah. I think this is a great idea. Although I know that there are a lot of individuals out there who really like to cry about fanfiction and say that fanfiction is lazy writing, that it's not creative writing. As someone who wrote fanfiction for a number of years, although I cringe at the thought, I will say it can be very helpful, especially for new authors who find the concept of creating a new character daunting to start off writing characters from deeper perspectives, with deeper perspectives that have already been established. Mm -hmm. It is easier for newer writers to take a character they already know and embellish versus creating entirely. So especially if you are a new author, I very much recommend that if you find this concept daunting, that you take someone you already know, be it Five from Umbrella Academy, or one of Jane Austen's characters, or oh, I'm, I know you're trying to find... <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting to see how many fandoms you represent here, and <laughs> the only one that I think you are particularly attached to is Five. Five from the Umbrella Academy. And I, I know that you just saw the book that my wife is reading. Yes. <laughs> one of my favorite characters that I have been obsessed with for many years is Five from Umbrella Academy for a very specific reason, and that is his character drive changes, but his personality does not. Mm. And I rarely see that in characters. Usually with character arcs, you see an entire change in a lot of things about them, even sometimes the tastes of things that they enjoy. Five from Umbrella Academy disappears as a, what was it, 13-year-old boy? Mm -hmm. And comes back in a 13-year-old boy's body, but has been gone for 56 years in his time. And he still drinks the same coffee, eats the same meals, likes the same things, and it just fascinates me. So yes, I have a soft spot (laughs) in my heart for Five from Umbrella Academy, and I will awkwardly sip my tea now. Yes, the writing of Umbrella Academy is... 
fabulous, uh, especially the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. I was listening to my Spotify rap from a couple years ago, and it was pretty much just the Umbrella, just the Umbrella Academy. Academy. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about fan fiction uh, while we're on the topic. I don't write fan fiction, but like I said in a, a previous podcast, I would play out stories from worlds that I read about. So like, for example, Redwall is the example that always comes to my mind, where I would take a setting. So Redwall is about a basically a monastery that's run by animals and that comes under constant attack. And the, the novels take place over many years or seasons, as they call them. And there's prehistory and post-history and all this stuff. And it's a really magnificent world. And if you're looking for a lighter read, especially for a, a younger reader, highly, highly recommend it. But I would act out stories from that. And I never ended up taking those stories and writing them down. But I think it's pretty similar where we create characters in our brains and we put them into that world. I don't think I ever played as one of those specific characters. I remember playing as characters from Narnia. But again, where do you draw the line between having fun with fan fiction and not upsetting the members of the fan base? (laughs) I mean, at the end of the day, you cannot. You cannot avoid... People are very opinionated with their fantasy and fiction pieces because they are such personal things. Hmm. They are characters that are not real, which means that you can personalize them in your head, especially with books. It's why book fandoms have such a problem when movies get created of their books, because it's not what was created in their head. I feel like if you're going to be an author, that's something you really want to do. You want to publish your own books. Starting with fan fiction can be helpful. The problem comes in when you rely on it too much and you might begin slightly plagiarizing <clears throat> J.K. Rowling or, <laughs> or you might begin to find it difficult to create your own stories because you've relied on stories you've already known of for so long. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's a problem that you can get into if you don't monitor how much you're using that has already been established versus some things that you have created. And that's not to say that plagiarization doesn't happen in writing. Sure. It just does. There's nothing new under the sun. People are always going to borrow little things that they've seen and heard there, sure. here and there. But don't be J.K. Rowling and write, rewrite Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit to fit <laughs> your universe. And that's a hot take. And I'll take whatever hate I get from yeah, that. Yeah, if, if you would like us to do an entire podcast devoted to that discussion, uh... please let us know. And I'll probably just let Violet talk about that the entire time. There's a Studio C skit that really just describes it perfectly. If you want to look up Studio C, Harry Potter versus Lord of the Rings, they do a fabulous job all on their own. This is true. This is true. The the question I have, though, is... So specifically for this, we're talking about writing a character monologue. Yes. And so what I would do is, with my my games, is I would create a new character in that setting. Mm -hmm. But in this one, we're talking about a character that's already established. So how do we take what we know about a character to dive into the internal thoughts of probably screaming uh, <laughs> if they're like my characters? You have a good it's... character that goes with that. Chesterfield. Yes, yeah. He's a fascinating character who often, when you're writing, describes his internal monologue. Yeah, most of his plot is driven by internal monologue. There is actually a story published, so I'll reference that one and not any of the other stuff, because that goes far more in-depth. There's a 14-page story that's literally just him in his brain. It's It's one of of my favorites of all time. But Chesterfield talks to the voices in his head all the time. The one that surprises him at the start of the story, which is called Chesterfield, is Johnny Rivers singing Secret Agent Man. 
Uh, it's a great song. Please check it out. But uh, exactly like he said, he starts responding to his internal monologue, and it's very clear, especially when it's written from his perspective. And each one has is written in italics. That's how I decided to do it. And then he usually responds and mentions which voice is speaking to him. So he has Johnny Rivers, who just kind of sings lyrics in his brain. He has his mother, who says encouragements and sweet things. His brother, who usually mocks him, but is genuinely supportive and loves him. Common sibling um, energy. Yeah, very much. And then what he calls his twisted twin, Fester Child, who is the negative aspects of him always trying to break down his wall and break down his concentration by criticizing him the entire time. Those are the those are the big four in that. Uh, oh, and his therapist makes an appearance as well. Yeah. But he doesn't listen to his therapist. As a social worker, it is disheartening to see how little <laughs> Chesterfield listens to his therapist. But okay. But here we are. Uh, but yeah, so his is a very clear one. But how do you do one that's less clear? How do you kind of draw out, you know, because I'm thinking uh, in, in your story, uh, Out of Time, because each one is written from the first person perspective, it's a very clear internal monologue of I'm thinking this about that person. I'm thinking this about that person. But how do you read a book, especially if you're looking at if it's first person perspective, looking at another character? How do you get into that other character's brain and draw out their thoughts? That can be tough. There are some characters that you write that you really just don't feel like you have a good connection with right away. Mm -hmm. One of my other stories, The Augmented, is a good example. I've had this one character, and you can tell that I've had difficulty connecting with him by the amount of times I've changed his name. <laughs> he has been called four different names since I have made him. <laughs> right now, we're sticking with Marius, because I just like it. Okay. But he used to be Colin. He mm -hmm. used to be Douglas. His everything about him has changed. His last name has changed, his aspirations, his race, his concepts of reality itself. And so I think that's probably who I'm going to be focusing on for this challenge is Marius, because I need to know who he is. He's one of my main characters. So when you don't know how to connect with a character, at least for me, I have a couple different things that I do. One of the first things that I go to is my favorite thing for writing Pinterest. Nice. I love Pinterest. I'm a basic white girl with my Pinterest boards, but I use them very specifically for mood boards, specifically what I do, and I'm pulling it up even though Scribe has already seen this, is I will take a color that I feel associates that character, and then a theme that goes with that color, and I will make mood boards. And I can feel like some people are rolling their eyes at this, but for me, I can visualize very well what my characters think and do by these mood boards. Exactly. And I'm handing it to Scribe right now. I go in depth with these. I will have layers, like the farther down you scroll, the deeper you get into their minds. But I find that pictures sometimes are easier than words. So that's one way that I connect with them. Another way is through playlists, because mm -hmm. I'm a very musically oriented individual. I will make a Spotify playlist for each character. And I won't even fill it out. I'll just create it. And then as I go throughout my day, and I'm hearing a new song, it, it clicks with me. Oh, that sounds like a song this character would like. I put it aside so that then when these kinds of things come up and I have to write that character, I have a mood board to my right and a playlist playing to my left so I can channel that character in a way just a yeah. little bit easier. Exactly. So for me, that's two ways that I connect with them, but I feel like you're a little bit different in how you connect with them. Yeah, yeah. So the uh, music is a big one. I need to make playlists. I can't tell you how many songs I have for Chesterfield that every time I hear them, I'm like, oh, it's just you. It's, it is you. My favorite one is The Fever by Foreign Figures. And I, I listened to it for the first time. I think I was in the middle of writing Chesterfield and I just put it on repeat. 
because it was it was just him to a T. But the the biggest thing I do for for any kind of dialogue, but especially internal monologue, is I start doing it myself. Which gets a little dangerous when you're driving with other people in the car. There was there was a couple times where I had this such an intense debate in my head. I started to speak out loud. And everyone in the car kind of went, huh? And I was like, nothing. Don't worry. I'm fine. I'm not insane. I promise. <laughs> I'm just a writer. I'm just a... Well, it was my family. So they all said, sure. And totally believe that I'm not insane. <laughs> And that they weren't the cause of it. So that leads to some awkward moments. I do a lot of bathroom mirror talk, unashamedly, where I will look myself in the eye, but I will make it the other person that I'm seeing and talk very violently or very sweetly or very whatever I'm trying to evoke at the moment. So I act it out. That's, you know, my, that's being nature, so to speak. <laughs> and I play the dialogue in my head. And that's where I start pulling out things and start seeing, oh, that's how they're perceiving these events. Uh, that's how they're perceiving this person. That's why this moment is happening, because there's this disagreement about what's going on. So on that note, let's pull out some of your social work side of things uh-huh. into the psychology of it. How do you use psychology to dig deeper into a character? I feel like for me, I feel like I say that a lot, by the way. The, <laughs> I feel like for me. Well, I think I think writing is a very subjective thing. Yeah. And a lot of the stuff that we say is very much for us. Mm-hmm. And hopefully some of it sticks. Um, that's why there's two of us, because two different perspectives will hopefully reach a wider range of people. Yeah. But yeah, go ahead. I look very closely into coping mechanisms. Hmm. My characters are all traumatized. I feel like you can't really write a good character unless there's something (laughs) trauma-related in there sometimes. And if you can, kudos to you. For me, I need them down at the bottom of the rock bottom in order to properly write them up. I look at coping skills. Because coping skills can tell you a lot about a person. You can have an individual who has an anxiety disorder and chews on his hoodie strings sometimes. Mm -hmm. And another individual with anxiety disorder who's a compulsive cleaner. These two things tell you very different things about that person. The person chewing on the hoodie string. Is he habitual? Does he chew on the same one every time? Does he need that repetition? Is that what he's craving? Or does he just need some kind of oral stimulation? Does he need to feel like he's doing something? Doesn't matter what he's chewing on. He just has to be chewing on something to calm his habits. It tells you two different things about a person. Mm -hmm. Does a person need order to feel calm? Or do they just need to feel like they are being productive or like they are doing something? Two completely different lines of thought, one compulsive action. Versus someone who cleans. Does the person feel better when they're going and cleaning their friend's home? Or do they feel better when they're cleaning their own home? Mm -hmm. With your own home, you usually see some level of self-care or some level of trauma associated with home. Has the individual experienced people telling them they need to clean in order to be worthy? Or do they just find a level of satisfaction in themselves from a healthy perspective of, I like when my spaces are clean, versus going over to a friend's house? Do they enjoy the satisfaction of helping their friend get clean? Do they enjoy feeling like they are helping their friend more than they are helping themselves? Mm -hmm. Is it God complex? Is it an inability to help self? There's so many things that you can find from bad habits, why they're formed, and the reason that they help. Mm. So I would focus on... Give your character a bad habit and then figure out why they do it. I think that in the same vein of psychology, I know a lot of people do Myers-Briggs or Enneagram for their characters to kind of delve into their psychology and figure out how they think. And then from that, you can build what they think. 
Because when you know how someone sees something, you'll know what they think about that. Figuring out the, the psychology of a person and trying to, to play with that. I also worry because sometimes writers internalize their characters. Mm. So how do you keep a boundary of writing an internal monologue of screaming while being okay to think your own thoughts and not scream? In, in every story I've ever written, I've had a character that is some level of a self-insert. It just mm. happens. You make a character, and about four months into writing, you go, oh, it's just me, but blonde. <laughs> and that's not always bad. It gives you a place to come back to. Anytime you return to a story, you're like, but that character, I remember that character. And sometimes that can help blossom. But I really encourage for this prompt to not go for the obvious character. Hmm. Don't go for the person that reminds you the most of you, or that you understand the best. Go for the person that you don't, like my concept with Marius. If you are writing a character and you start feeling like this character is in your head more often than they should be, I'd recommend scheduling a therapy session. <laughs> yeah. I say that as a joke, but it's true. Writing is a very therapeutic thing. Writing will reveal things to yourself that you may not understand. So when writing internal monologues, if it starts infesting your thoughts a little bit, it may be a good time to, to jump in and get yourself a little bit of assistance. Because normally, characters should not control you more than you control them. Not to say that characters don't run with their own story and do their yeah. own things. But if you're not writing and you feel like a character is whispering in your ear, and you feel like you don't have any control of when they do that, that can be a sign of something a little bit deeper. Yeah. So, so definitely consider assistance in that. However, what we are talking about <laughs> is more on the concept of not letting your own thoughts change what a character would be. Yeah. I would go back to the basics of that character, go back to your mood boards and your playlist, yep. and try and keep your focus on that character a bit more. I, I like what you said about Enneagrams and about quizzes. Quizzes is one of my favorite things to do for characters that I'm just learning about. Quotev. I yep. love Quotev. Yes. Find yourself a goofy Quotev quiz. What's your aesthetic? And just sit down and answer those questions as that character. As that character, yeah. Because nothing will get you into the personality more than answering questions as that character. Absolutely. In the same vein, there's a there's a moment where you have to learn how to detach yourself from you mm -hmm. and attach yourself to your character. And it can be difficult switching there and back. The way I, I do it is very much like a theater show. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you put on the costume, and as soon as you put on the costume, you walk on stage, and you are no longer you. You are the taxi cab driver in Harvey, or you are the you know Cinderella, or whatever. You're, you are now your character. And so when you take on that character, you have to remember that while you're in that character, you're writing for them. But when you're done with that character, you have to take off your makeup. You don't go home and just go to sleep. It's the movie theater syndrome. Yeah. You go into the theater feeling totally normal and you leave wanting to change your life, revolutionary, and because you've connected so well with this fascinating character. Usually only lasts for about 10 minutes. Yep. But it's that feeling. Yeah, of exactly. this moment, I am going to go and take archery lessons and I will be the next Hawkeye. <laughs> I don't know if that was a little too personal on my end, but... I'm with you there. <laughs> Though I don't know if I'd be able to fall off a collapsing building while shooting an alien going over my yes, head. But, cool. um, Do you have any actual physical costume pieces that you will wear for characters that are more difficult? No, but I will change my perspective of what I'm wearing or how I'm sitting. So if I'm, if I'm writing more of an uptight character, I'll sit a little straighter. I might even 
pretend to adjust a tie that I don't have. Mm -hmm. I have perfect posture as I'm typing. With Chesterfield, for example, I'm a little bit more scattered because he's a little bit more scattered. You know, he has his brother Rorik over here yelling something and Fester Child is whispering something and his mother's just like, wants to give him a hug, but she's not actually there. So she, you know, she can't. So it's it's a little bit more scattered, a little bit more relaxed, but at the same time, like anxious all the time, on edge all the time. Relatable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I don't, I don't actually go ahead and do set pieces. More a budget thing. Uh, well, yeah. Than, uh, <laughs> yeah. I'll do it. Although you have enough cosplays in your closet at this point that you probably, I probably could. I probably could. And then choosing where you write is also really important. Most of my writing is done in a big armchair because, one, I feel like a writer in a big armchair. I don't have a fireplace, but I guess I could put one on the television. Yes. Uh, but, you know, you're in a big armchair. You got your pretend pipe. But because of the way it encircles me, I can imagine it to be whatever I want. And it kind of blocks out the real world. And then all of a sudden there's a cat in my face. You're breaking the atmosphere. (laughs) But you can kind of let go of the real world a little bit better and fall into the one that you've created and fall into your character a little bit better. So choosing where you write is really important. For some people, it's better to insert yourself into that environment. So writing in a, a busy coffee shop when you're writing about a crowd, looking at a forest view when you're writing about a forest, putting on nature sounds if you're writing about being outdoors, whatever. Looking up the news if you want to talk about dystopian or apocalyptic situations. I'm not scared. We just got hotboxed by Canada. I'm not terrified. Yeah, when I tell you that I had so many ideas running through my brain and I had to keep saying, no, Yep. back to the story that I'm actually working on. Sean Mendes put out an album cover that was a picture of New York City in that fog. He got a lot of hate for it. And people were like, you're benefiting off of our ecological nightmare. And to me, I love that. Yeah. I love that he took advantage of a sad situation and made it artistic and beautiful and creative. Mm-hmm. It, like we were saying in the, the last episode, inspiration strikes in the strangest places. Mm-hmm. And those moments when you're suddenly being asked to stay indoors because you can't see the road, you start to get into the mindset of a character who might be in a similar situation. And now all of a sudden, your own thoughts are mirroring what's going on in your story. And it's enough of a mirror that you can write it without it becoming completely foreign Mm -hmm. and being completely wrong. So that's another way of getting in is one living, just living the experiences of your character, but also reading about the experiences of your character. So for some of your characters, for example, I'm going to go back to Out of Time, which is about all these time travelers gathered for a funeral. Reading about the life of someone in the 1920s gives you an experience of, oh, okay, now I can write about someone from that time. And you see that a lot in one of my main, my first characters that you meet, which is Arthur Attenborough, Mm -hmm. who also happens to be a character that was slightly based off of Scribe. But there's a section in his chapter, because every chapter is dedicated to a character in the story. He talks about all of the things that he's going through in this moment. Talking about how this is a time traveler story, if I haven't mentioned this already. It's a time traveler murder mystery novella. And this character is from the 1920s, roughly. So has interacted with Alexander Graham Bell, Marie Curie, Henry Ford, all of these characters And in researching these characters to make sure I was getting events correctly in the Mm -hmm. right time frame, I was able to connect to Arthur more because I was able to see this is what he's fighting against. This is what he's observing. This is his atmosphere. So yeah, researching, huge help. And if you're visual like me, go a step further. Print off some pictures. 
Make your background of your laptop something for a short time. Make it a more immersive environment for that time in order to allow yourself to not break focus and stay in that chapter, stay in that character's perspective. And then something else to to, to discuss more nuts and bolts of actually writing. Mm-hmm. How do you write first versus third person internal monologues? Oh, see, I wrote this down hoping you would answer it. <laughs> oh, our... I, can, I can answer. Please do, because <laughs> I really struggle with that. First, second, and third, which second is a crime. So so, write second. Do, not, do not write, you go to the door. Yeah. You open the door. No, this I is just, not a uh, VR. It's not a choose script. your own adventure. I don't it's mind not... choose your own adventures. You totally can do that. I don't know how you would do that with this prompt. No. Please don't. I beg you. And like, if you want to, if you can do it well, we will appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. But we won't participate. <laughs> <laughs> First person versus third person scribe. What would you recommend for this prompt? For this one, I would definitely recommend first person because first person, you don't have to write the dreaded he thought. You could write the entire thing, like I mentioned earlier, just straight dialogue without any kind of action. You can just write the person's thoughts. When it's third person, now you are having a kind of out of body experience trying to write about this person having an internal monologue instead of writing them having an internal monologue. Yeah. You can see the distinction. I feel like with writing first person, some people might come across the difficulty of feeling like the story is disjointed. I encourage that. Mm -hmm. You don't need to describe. You don't need to set a scene. The focus right now is for you to feel like you're seeing through the eyes of this character. Exactly. But you don't need to see what they see. You just need to pick it up from what they're thinking. So if you're writing it and it feels like a disjointed script and you feel like it's not like a story... It's not supposed to be. It's a writing exercise. Exactly. And that's the distinction we want you to make with this prompt. Yeah. It's, it, it, same as last week. Just write. Mm-hmm. You know, and remember that with your own thoughts, I mean, you could just listen to this podcast. With your own thoughts, they're everywhere. It's very, very rare for someone to have a direct train of thought without it getting derailed or without having a couple other trains come into the station. And that's normal. You know, you could have an internal monologue of something very dramatic. Let's say someone is wandering through the graveyard, like that little girl we were talking about mm-hmm. last week. And then all of a sudden, you know, she's looking at tombstones and then she it pops into her head, what's for dinner? That's a very common thing to happen. I can't tell you how many times in my own personal life I'll be working and then all of a sudden something very non-work related, typically writing related, will pop up into my brain. So when you say, like you said, don't worry about being disjointed, being disjointed is a natural part of the thought process. Right. So if you feel like this is disjointed, that probably means it's realistic. And you're doing it right. Yeah. And it might not, it might not be nice to read. People don't like reading disjointed thoughts because that's not what we're used to. But this is, again, this is a writing exercise. And realistically, that's what happens. So go for it. Embrace it. If you have a random thought about microwave popcorn while you're writing it, maybe throw it in there. Especially if you are neurodivergent like me and you've never had a clear train of thought in your life. <laughs> Honestly, pop off. It's it's helpful sometimes to be able to jump from topic to another. You don't even need to explain to whoever might be reading this. I don't know if we're going to be publishing or uh, encouraging people to Yeah, absolutely. You're very much encouraged to share it. Feel free to send it to us and, and we'll share it as well. Uh, we might even need a little bit of We that might, we, yeah. You don't have to explain in your writings what made you think of that. You can in the thought. But if it's like, I'm thinking about my mother and about this illness that's going on and this sickness and, oh my gosh, I haven't had sushi in such a long time. 
It happens. It does. It just happens. Like you said, you don't have to explain that. Don't have to. I encourage authors to practice what they preach. And so I wanted to know if there were any sections from your writings where you have written an internal monologue in a first-person perspective you would like to share. It's a little awkward. We don't normally read our stuff out loud. We don't normally share it in this method unless we're like telling each other about it right um and i know i have a bit of trepidation but i feel like it could be fun sharing a little section about absolutely my suggestion was chesterfield because we have talked about him a lot i'm split between rose and our our arthur who i've already introduced maybe it'd be better to do to do rose just because you seem to be having a little bit of trouble with with arthur Arthur, because we are authors oh my gosh that's exactly why yeah oh my god (laughs) I stutter by nature, but that distinction just kills me. Thank God Arthur's not an author. <laughs> I'd be having a real tough time over here. It's Arthur and author and the author, Arthur. I'm going to have a conniption. <laughs> if you want to go ahead and read that, I'll, I will find a decent portion. Chesterfield is written in third person, but the internal monologue comes through very clearly. Yes. It's just a paragraph. You can fast forward if you want to skip over our dabblings, but here's an example of an internal monologue for a character. I saw red. I was red. I was everything they'd whispered about when they thought I wasn't listening. I was angry. I was afraid. I was petulant. I was a child. I was all of their hopes and dreams dashed against sharp rocks. I could be the monster that Creed saw. I could be the wildfire Eleanor feared. I could be all of it. I was a ship lost at sea, and my anchor had been cut from me. Violet was gone. Violet was dead. Long live the monster. I will not give any explanation. No, if you want to know what she's talking about, if you want to know why this character was so mad, go read my book when it comes out. Yeah, someday. follow the Violet author so you yes. can find out when when it's actually going to be published. So I'm actually just going to read the introduction to Chesterfield. Yes, yes. which is um, out now. Which is out, yep. You can read the entire thing on scrapofworlds.com under Adventures in Fantasy. But this is just how it begins. They should have sent Gilderbrand. That was the thought that ran through Norvald Chesterfield's mind as he stood in front of the tall, frosted glass window. You shouldn't compare yourself with others. There's a reason they sent you, and that reason is that you're competent, just as much as Gilderbrand would be. That was the voice of his therapist. Chesterfield shook his head to clear it slightly. He didn't like listening to his therapist, even less when they were actually in the same room. And the voices today would only further distractions, furthering issues. Furthering danger. Further and further down the rabbit hole, eh, Chesterfield, old boy? Come on, give us a smile, why don't you? His brother's voice was a rarer occurrence, but given the amount of stress Chesterfield was under, he shouldn't have been surprised. At least, it was Rorick, he consoled himself. Yeah, And that's a great example of a well-done third-person monologue. (laughs) So if you're not comfortable writing first-person... Third person is obviously an available option, because we're mm-hmm. not your mother, we can't tell you what to do. And if you were going to write it, that's a great example of what a third person perspective would be. Yeah, the the one thing I would say about that is it's also more of a dialogue, not necessarily a monologue. Right. Further on in the story, as he's doing stuff, he's having his own actual personal monologue, not internal dialogue. That is having a thought like... Oh, I wonder why she's wearing that. Why are you thinking that? That it's not important right now. You know that kind of that kind of stuff. And that's that's the thing with thoughts. You have thoughts you that come have... up that just aren't important, and that... that's okay. That's <laughs> exactly. the point of this exercise. Exactly. So go ahead, enjoy this week of writing 
internal screaming. Mm -hmm. And you can quite literally just write screams in agony. Yes. That's probably fair. Yeah. For a decent amount of the population facing finals. Oh, my goodness, yes. <laughs> and taxes. But we're past both of those. Good, So now. we should be looking forward to summer vacation, enjoying some time in the sun, and hopefully writing. Yes. And if you need help with a location, with something that they could be thinking about, feel free to comment underneath Scribe of Worlds' uh, Instagram posts on this and ask for some assistance. Scribe and I read all the comments, and we would love to help you out by sending you some some interesting thought munchies to get your creativity <laughs> rolling. Exactly. Well, write well, and as always, wander well. <laughs>